uh, for you this morning. Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11. This is, this is the Apostle John who's writing here. He says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, I ask that you would just give us eyes and ears that we might be able to hear not just the words, but Lord, a mind to comprehend the truth that you would say to us this morning. Father, I thank you that we can look forward to a day when our Savior will return. Now, Lord, in the next few moments, Lord, would you work in the midst of this place, Lord, would you do it for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This past week has... Um, it's really been a doozy. I, I really hadn't felt good for a couple of weeks. Um, and I really chalked it up to allergies. Well, a, a fever kicked in on Tuesday, and it just it really it really wiped me out. Um, no energy, everything. And Thursday, I finally went to the doctor and, and got some antibiotics. And at least I take them. I still don't feel the best in the world, but I do take them. Um, but with that being said, it's also been a great week because if you know me, what happened this week that I love? But the Pirates won. Yep, that's right. Well, I'm just excited that college football's back. Um, specifically, South Carolina played Vanderbilt this past Thursday night. And so as I laying at home and, and you know, recouping and just trying to, to rest, I have all the games that South Carolina won last year, which there weren't very many of them. But one of the teams that they did beat last year was Vanderbilt. And so I watched Thursday the game that South Carolina played last year against Vanderbilt and beat them. Man, it was a good game. I mean, they won. I didn't have one. I didn't have a stress the entire time I watched that game. However, I think I lost a couple of years off my life Thursday night as I watched South Carolina and Vanderbilt because it was, it was one of those nail-biter games nail-biter games where it just goes down to the wire and they had to kick a 50-some yard field goal at the end of the game to win it and Tommy said he thought he heard me scream about 11 o'clock Thursday night uh, but anyway I mean it was just a nail-biter I, I worried about it the entire game but think about it two games I watched South Carolina and Vanderbilt on Thursday one game I didn't worry a bit the other game I worried just about the entire game. You say, well, what's the difference? On the first game, I knew the end. Because I knew the end, I knew what was going to happen, I could just sit there in, in relaxation and, and no worry, no fear, no doubt, anything, and watch that game and enjoy it. On the second game, I had no idea what was going to happen at the end. Therefore, there was just fear, anxiety, anxiety, what in the world is going to happen? 
And I want some of you to make this connection this morning that sometimes the fear and the anxiety and, and the problems that you deal with in life are because you don't realize that we really do win in the end. When, when you get to Revelation chapter 19 and, and you, you get to the end, we really understand that there are greater things that are still to come for those who are followers of Christ. We, we find that, that human history, where we are in 2016, it's, it's moving to a climax where Jesus Christ will return. I, we look around our world, we, we see problems. I, I haven't met many people, Republican or Democrat, that are happy with either one of the candidates that are being offered. And, and we wonder about our country and the turmoil that we're in. And, and we just live in this fear and this anxiety. And sometimes we just need to take a step back and we need to realize that Jesus Christ is still in control. There's still coming a day that Jesus Christ is going to return and everything that is wrong now, it will be made right in that time. And so here's what I want to do in our time together this morning. First of all, I'm going to spend a little bit more time in Revelation 19 and verses 11 through 16, what we read. But then I'm also going to walk you through very quickly Revelation chapter 20 and part of Revelation chapter 21, just pointing out key events that are going to take place with the return of Christ, okay? And then we'll back up and we're going to point through, walk through different reasons that we can have confidence in 20, 2016 in our walk with Christ because, man, when we realize what we have to look forward to, we really can walk in confidence, in hope, of who we are in Christ in 2016. Okay, so Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. The focus is on the second coming of Christ. Now, if you, if you paid attention when we read this, the name of Jesus Christ was not mentioned in this context. Now, you don't read J-E-S-U-S in this, in this specifically. But there are several names that are given for the one who is riding on the white horse in Revelation 19, verse 11, that very clearly would say to us that the one who is coming is Jesus Christ. Uh, the one sitting on him, verse 11, he is faithful and true. It's a reminder that everything that Jesus has said to us, everything, every promise that he has made to us, uh, he is faithful, it is true. You can write it down, it's money in the bank, you can take it to the bank, what he has said will come to pass, will come to pass. What he has promised you, you can hold on to those promises. But now notice what it says. He comes in righteousness, and he judges, and he makes war. It should, it should draw your mind back to, to the time that, that he rode into Jerusalem leading up to his death. Uh, you remember, he, he came in very lowly riding on a donkey. He came as a servant the first time in his first advent when, when he was born of a virgin and he lived for 33 years and eventually died on a cross. He did not come to, to make war at that time except to make war spiritually. And at that time, he came as a servant to give his life for us. Now he's coming a second time to establish his kingdom. He's coming on a white horse. His name is Faithful and True. He's coming to make war. Verse 12, his eyes are like a like a flame of fire, it's literally saying he has the right to judge and to make war because his eyes, he can see through, through uh, some of our muck and mire. He can see through some of our 
mask that we put on. He, he could see through and see who our, what our hearts really are like. His, his eyes are like the flame of fire. Don't get, this, don't get this like Star Wars picture in your mind where he's like shooting out fire out of his eyes. No, he's, he's giving us the, the picture that, that he could see who we, who we really are. Many diadems. He's a, he's a king. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. You know, one of the great things that we know about heaven uh, is that we don't know everything that there is about it. Have you ever noticed that the things that you know everything about, you don't really anticipate quite as much? Man, if you, if you know that I, I, I'm going to go here and this is what's going to be here, and we're going to do this, we're going to do this, it's not quite as exciting as going and you're not knowing exactly what you're going to get. I think that's one of the reasons that God doesn't tell us all of the details about heaven. And what he's saying here is, is, is Jesus has a name that nobody knows but himself. He's, he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. This is not his first battle. In fact, he, he, did, he did very much a huge battle on the cross. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Now that should, that should hearken your minds back to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in uh, the beginning. And so very clearly what, what we're reading here is that this one who was coming, riding on this horse, is Jesus Christ. He's faithful and true. He is, he is the one that we can trust. He is the Word of God. But now notice this. He goes to war. We don't like to think about war so much but he goes to war uh, verse 13 you read about this robe that is dipped in blood verse 14 speaks of the uh, the armies of heaven that are uh, coming with him um, verse 15 he, the sharp sword comes through his mouth he will rule them with a rod of iron he'll tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the almighty it speaks in verse 18 of the nations that will be gathered there, the kings, the flesh of the captains, the mighty men, the horses and the riders, all the flesh of men. There's going to be this, this great battle that are there. But it's not just the armies and the kings, something we don't really talk a whole lot about, but the beast and the false prophet are there. They're mentioned in, in verses 18 and following. Verse 19, you read the beast and the kings of the earth there. Verse 20, the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who was in his presence and they, he had done signs to, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped his image and those two were thrown alive into the lake of fire. And so the beast would represent the antichrist. You, many of you have heard him. It's a, it's a world ruler who would come and gather the nations there against Jesus. And then uh, this false prophet is this one who, would, who, would, who will come and will deceive many people. When Jesus Christ comes and all of these armies take up their arms against Jesus Christ and the beast and the false prophet are there, there is going to be a great war. But now notice this, verse 14, what Jesus says, he does not come along, but the armies of heaven will come with him. Those who have been taken up in the rapture, those who have gone on before us, uh, they will come back with him. They'll be clothed with white and pure. They'll be following on him in white horses. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever known people to go to war dressed in white? 
why would these people come dressed in white for a war? For a war. Because they don't fight. We are spectators. We, we are there, and, and all we will do is, is we will observe the war that will take place. Verse 15, there is a, a sharp, uh, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Now, again, don't get your mind in, in this idea that, okay, Jesus has these eyes that are flames that are coming out, he's got a sharp sword, and he's going to be fighting everybody back and forth. Did you know that the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, I think it is, uh, that the Bible is living and it is sharper than a two-edged sword piercing to the point of the joints in the marrow. It's able to cut us. It's able to speak into our lives. And, and sometimes it cuts us for the purpose of healing us. Some, some of you in this room, you have been and you've had surgery before. A doctor, you willingly let a doctor cut on your body for the purpose that you knew that when he cut you, he was going to bring healing into your body. In the same way, what the Bible is saying is, is the Bible is like a, a, like a living sword. It cuts us for the purpose of bringing healing into our body. Paul said it in Ephesians 6 that the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. And so uh, don't get this idea that he's going to have a sword, a literal sword out of his mouth. You know what he's going to do? He's literally going to speak, and the war will be no more. I mean, think about it. Think about how great our God is. He could say, let there be light, and there is light. He's not going to sit there, and there's just going to be a huge war. He's going to speak, it's over, and all of the armies, all of the kings, and, and all of these guys, it's going to be no more. I love what John Phillips said. He said, suddenly it will be over. In fact, there's not even going to be a war. In the sense that we think of war, he said, there will just be a word spoken from his mouth who sits astride the great white horse. Once he spoke to a fig tree and it withered away. Once he spoke a word to howling winds and heavy waves and the storm clouds vanished and the waves fell still. Once he spoke to a legion of demons bursting at the seams of a poor man's soul and instantly they fled. Now he speaks a word and the war is over. The blasphemous, loud-mouthed beast is stricken where he stands. The false prophet, the miracle-working windbag from the pit is punctured and still. The pair of them are bundled up and hurled headlong into the everlasting flames. Another word, and the panic-stricken armies reel and stagger and fall down dead. Field marshals and generals, admirals and air commanders, soldiers and sailors, rank and file, one and all, they fall. And the vultures descend and cover the sea. And just like that, second coming of Christ, and the battle is over. Immediately after that battle, Revelation chapter 20, what we see is that a thousand-year reign comes. It's called the Millennial Kingdom. First, Satan is bound. He is cast into a, to a pit. And so there is no more deception that will take place. And, and for a thousand years, at the end of verse 2, Jesus will reign. Uh, some of the martyrs who have gone on before us, what we read in verse 4, they will be given thrones and they will, they will be seated on them, those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And you see verse 4, all, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image. And so there is a, a thousand-year period where it will be just about perfect. Creation will be restored 
the lion will lay down with the lamb. The, the young child can play with a snake. There will be no war. I mean, it will just be complete peace. There will be a, a thousand-year reign here. And then chapter 20, verse 7. When a thousand years are ended, Satan will be released. He will, there will be a time of deception. I don't know how long, but there will be a time of deception. But then, ultimately, Satan will be no more. The devil, verse 10, he was thrown into the lake of fire where the false prophet and the beast were. And then they will be there forever. Chapter 20, verse 11. This is where you do not want to be. The great white throne judgment. Every person who has not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ will face the great white throne judgment. There you will see the book of life. Chapter 20, verse 15, last verse of the chapter. Anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. Millennial kingdom, the end of Satan. Great white throne judgment. And then verse chapter 21. There is a new heaven, there is a new earth. Sin is no more. Sorrow is no more. This was the song we sang about. What a day that will be. God will be with us. All things will be new. I'll have a body and I'll have hair. <laughs> Amen? There'll be no more need for a temple because the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. We won't need a place for sacrifices because the one who sacrificed himself for us will be there. We won't need to go and pray because the one we pray to will be there. We won't need a son because the glory of God will be the light of the world. The nations will be represented there and there will be no night. Chapter 21 closes this way in verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Great truths that we have to look forward to. Now, let me back up and go through several ways in which you could have confidence this morning based on knowing the end of the story. You see, it does you no good to sit there and say, well, I know, the, I know the end of the story. I know what's going to take place, but now I'm still stuck in this place in 2016. Let me give you some reasons based on what we know about the, the, the events that are to come that we can have confidence in the time in which we live this morning. So number one, first of all, you can have confidence because you can trust the Bible. Okay, This is what the scriptures say is to come. Forgive me for my sinuses doing what they've been doing for too long. Okay? Think about this. How many of you believe in the first coming of Christ? How many of you believe that he willingly gave his life on the cross for us? Do you realize that for every one prophecy about the first coming of Christ, there are eight prophecies about the second coming of Christ? If the Bible says eight times more that the coming of Christ is a certainty and you believe in the first coming, how much more should you, be, you believe in the things that we've just seen? In fact, it's over 1,800 times that we read about that there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will return. 300 of those times mentioned in the New Testament. Many times we are so thankful for his first coming, and rightly so, but if you believe in his first coming, you can better believe that you can have full confidence in his second coming as well. It reminds us that we can trust 
in the authority of the Scripture. What we read about in the Scriptures, we can take it to the bank and we can hold on to it as truth. And so we can have confidence in, in where we live today that what we believe in the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, it will certainly take place. But now, second, you can have confidence in the fact that Jesus fights for you. Now, did anybody else besides me find it very comforting that when the, the second coming of Christ, when there's this great battle, that Jesus is the one who does all the fighting? I mean, I, I really find that very comforting that, that I don't have to worry about that I've got this great battle that I've got to fight. My Savior is going to fight that for me. All I have to do is watch Him defeat our enemy. We may be present for the battle, but all we're going to do is be spectators in the fight. Now, in the same way, some of you are in the midst of spiritual battles today. You're in the midst of, of problems in your life. You're struggling. Satan desires to have you. Satan desires to have your family. And you need to realize that this morning, that this is a, not a battle that you can win on your own. It's not about a battle that you've just got to try harder in. It's not a battle where, where you've just got to put more effort into it. Rather, it's a battle where Jesus is saying, I just need you to completely surrender to me and let me fight this battle for you. This is a battle where you need to realize that the best thing that you can do is not try harder, but surrender more to him and let him do in two minutes what it will take you 20 years to do in the midst of. Just as he will fight this battle for us, there are battles that we go through in our present day that we just need to sit back and trust in Jesus and let him fight this battle for you. You may be present in the battle, but the only way that you'll ever win is to let him fight this battle for you. And think about this. Everything that you struggle with today, everything that is, is tempting to you, Everything that you mourn over will come to an end in Jesus' name. One of the most comforting verses in the Bible are found in Revelation 21. In fact, I read Revelation 21, uh, 1 through 4, maybe 5, 6. I read them at just about every funeral that I officiate. Notice what verse 4 says. God says, I'm going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Every, every single sin that you struggle with, you won't struggle with it. Every bit of heartache that you face, it will be no more in that day. You, you know where my mind, what my mind thinks of when I think about this? It's not us. If, if you watch the news, and, and I'll, I'll be rated G, if you watch the news and you see the horrors of what ISIS has done to, to men and women in different cultures, my mind thinks about them. Every bit of sorrow that every mother has faced seeing their kids taken away. Every bit of heartache that they've, that they've been through, every bit of sorrow that they've been through, it will all be over. No more tears in that place. 
many of you in this room this morning, you have confidence, you have hope this morning because the part, the pain and the heartache that you have today will one day come to an end. And that, ladies and gentlemen, should change how you respond to sorrow. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we, we do not have sorrow. Please, I, I don't imply that at all. But as what Paul said, we, we are not those who sorrow as though we have no hope. We have sorrow and we have, we have confidence. And there's coming a day that those who we love that have passed on before us, we will see them again if they have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the most comforting verses in the Scriptures is Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. It speaks of those who have gone on before us. They're strong. Those seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And John says, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast for its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand. See my loved ones again. You get to see your loved ones again. I'll see my grandmother. I'll see my my grandfather. All of us can think think about people that we've lost that have gone on before us. And sure, our hearts may have sorrow, but it's not just sorrow. There's a joy and there's a great hope that we get to see them again. There should be a joy and a great time that we get to to spend with them that will be much greater than any time that we get to spend with him. I mean, just think about that. Man, I had 30 years with my grandparents, roughly. But I'm going to get to spend all of eternity with them. I've got my, do I miss them in the meantime? Absolutely. But the time I, that I still get to spend with them is far greater than any time that I've already spent with them. Now, that's, that's a great comfort, knowing the end and what we get to look forward to. But as I, as, I, as I read and prayed and thought through this text, I thought of the great confidence that we have to look forward to in the end. It also reminded me that there's a great need for us to be obedient in 2016. It's not going to be on the screen. But for some of you, the second coming of Christ should give you great hope this morning. We, we just talked about it in our Sunday school class. Because Christ has not come yet, it means that you have this morning an opportunity to get your heart right with Christ. The second coming of Christ, knowing that it's a certainty that is to come, and, and the fact that it's not here yet, means that today there is an opportunity for you, right where you are, to get your life right with Jesus. It, it's an opportunity, it's a, it's a message of hope, it's a message of grace that there's that because Jesus is coming, today my life can be different. But then, it's also a reminder to those of us who are followers of Christ about the importance of being faithful to do those things that God has called us to do. Because the second coming of Christ is, is true, what about those nations who yet have no gospel witness? Are we just going to sit back and say, well, let somebody else go tell them? If the second coming of Christ 
what about our family members who don't know Christ? Are we just going to sit back and say, well, maybe they will, maybe they won't? Or should it spur us on to, be, to say, I'm going to be faithful in my prayers, I'm going to be faithful in my walk, I'm going to be faithful in my giving, I'm going to be faithful in my sharing? Because I know that there's coming a day that they are going to face Jesus Christ face to face. It's a reminder to us not only to have confidence, but it's a reminder that we need to be faithful. That we don't have time to waste. You see, I've never been one of those preachers that would say, any day now, man, Jesus Christ could come right now. Now, do I believe that he could? Absolutely. But I mean, for the past 500 years, really the past 2,000 years, we've been saying any day now. So I don't put a, a like a, that huge importance saying, you need to do it today, you need to do it today, but the truth is, that's the reality. He could come today. He could come tomorrow. You, you may not have another opportunity, Dan, right now. And the truth of his second coming is that because he's not coming today, he's 